agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government has the government love. The government has the government love. The government Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by my conservative counterpart, Cleveland area attorney and defender of freedom, Jay Carson. Hey, good afternoon, Mike. Hey, Jay. Happy Friday the 13th to you. Yeah, it's it's uh, Friday afternoon, Mike, and I'm cooking with gas. <laughs> yeah, we will. Well, we won't be getting to that in the regular show, but we definitely will be talking about all the Republicans who are cooking with gas on our midweek show. And we have a lot uh, to get to, certainly on our regular show. We're going to be talking about, well, of course, Biden's classified documents and uh, storage and uh, House weaponization, the House weaponization of the Federal Government Committee. I think I got that right. And the various names. Yeah, I, I thought you might like it, actually. Uh, the House Rules Package and uh, particularly uh, Speaker McCarthy's move or proposed move to kick some Democrats off of committees. Uh, the big air traffic control outage on Wednesday of this week and maybe some other things if we have time. So as always, we have plenty to get to. And we will get started in just one second. Hey, down in Joe's garage. We didn't have no dope for LSD. Well, there might not have been any dope or LSD in Joe's garage, but there were some classified documents. And Jay, thank you for suggesting that Frank Zappa musical intro to our top story this week. Uh, so... This week, Attorney General Merrick Garland announced the appointment of a special counsel to investigate, in Garland's words, the possible unauthorized removal and retention of classified documents or other records discovered at the Penn Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement and the Wilmington, Delaware, private residence of President Joseph R. Biden, Jr. The special counsel, Robert Hur, is in the kind of in the mold of almost every special counsel, I'd say. Uh, a Republican attorney with a lot of investigatory, a lot of prosecutorial experience, and uh, a pretty sterling reputation as a nonpartisan, straight-shooting sort of guy. He was appointed U.S. Attorney for the Dis District of Maryland from 2018 to 2021. Before that, he was a special assistant to current FBI Director Christopher Wray, who at the time was running the criminal division of the Department of Justice. He's a Stanford Law graduate, uh, Harvard before that, and he also clerked for Judge Alex Kaczynski of the Ninth Circuit, as well as Chief Justice William Rehnquist. So that's, uh, as resumes go, it doesn't get a whole lot better, I think he's, you would agree. He sounds okay. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. probably going to be at it. He sounds like he knows what he's doing. Probably. Now, here's what we currently know about the documents. The first batch of them was uncovered in early November at the Penn Center, which is a Washington, D.C. think tank affiliated with, as the name would suggest, the University of Pennsylvania and founded by Biden. And he'd used some office space there after his time as vice president ended in 2017. Now, the office was not a location authorized for classified document storage, which is a problem, of course. On discovering the documents, Biden's attorneys turned them over to the National Archives, at which point the inspector general of the National Archives contacted the Justice Department to let them know that the White House had disclosed finding classified documents there. Following that, the FBI got involved, and by mid-November, Attorney General Garland had assigned U.S. Attorney John Losh to conduct an initial investigation. Then more classified documents were found in the course of that investigation, which led Losh on January 5th to recommend to Garland that a special counsel be appointed. The story broke on January 9th with the White House saying they were cooperating fully with the investigation. And Garland, as I mentioned, announced that special counsel. Uh, so, Jay, what's your what's your reaction to this one? Um, I guess, you know, my first reaction is, and I'll you know, we can talk about this this later. Um, but but there was the, sen the sense that uh, when we elected Joe Biden, People sort of voted, elected him to one, not be Bernie Sanders, and two, not be Bernie, not be Donald Trump. And it's almost like he's he's being able to almost accomplish both, right? Um, the, there's sort of this sense of uh, when you know confidential documents are discovered at the pool table in Mar-a-Lago, and and you know, and Trump, you, a lot of people it's sort of like, yeah, that 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 sounds like him. Yeah, that that figures. Um, but 
I, you know, we were kind of hoping that that wasn't, you know, that that same sort of thing just wouldn't come up uh, with uh, President Biden. Yet here we are. Um, so, uh, you know, that that's my my initial, you know, kind of quick take. This, the second piece is um, barring anything else that I'm going to learn. Right. My sense is this is probably inadvertent. Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, but that would be my presumption. Um, uh, still, there are a whole lot of other people um, who who can get themselves into a whole lot of trouble for inadvertently mishandling classified documents. Um, and it was an interesting um, piece I read that it seems that the difference, I would say, is less in terms of, of party, but rather if you're a famous person or a non-famous person. Um, in, in terms of, you know, how strenuously the rules are enforced against you. Um, for Garland's part, I think he did the right thing appointing a special counsel because I don't know what else he could have done given the situation where we find ourselves in. So, uh, you know, kudos to him for that. And it sounds like they, they picked a certainly competent special counsel. So um, we'll we'll see how it, it, it plays out, but uh, it certainly presents a... a uh, not necessarily, if not a legal problem uh, in prosecuting Trump, certainly a, a political perception problem uh, in, in doing so. So yeah, I, that's I, my that's my very kind of quick take, sure. but we can get it. More, I, I agree with you on a few that. things and maybe I'll make some distinctions on a few others. I I agree. And, and I felt this way about the Trump case that uh, simply having some classified documents. Now, in the Trump case, it looks like there are considerably more of them, at least according to court filings, we're talking about 184 in 15 boxes for Biden. We don't know, but uh, it doesn't seem like it's more than a couple less of dozen. But, what, yeah, yeah, considerably right. less. But but still, all the same, nothing. I totally agree with you that if you are a nobody and you have a classified document, you are far more likely to be prosecuted than if you are a somebody. And if you're a president or former president. Absolutely. There's a huge difference there. So I think you hit the nail on the head exactly there. I will point out, though, it's it. I think there is an important difference in how each of these individuals handled the case. Right. Uh, in, in the Biden case, for everything, everything that we know right now. And again, there is an investigation. I don't want to speculate, but it seems like they uncovered these things. They found them and they were like, oh, wow, we should have turned these in. And the first thing they did was contact the National Archives. The process was followed. President Biden says they're fully and completely cooperating. We don't have any indications to the contrary about that compared to Donald Trump's bizarre claims and outright lies from some of his people, at least, about whether or not all these documents had been turned over and other things. And so when we're talking about criminal activity or potential criminal activity, it is, you know, there are statutes that prohibit misuse or misappropriation of classified documents. There are also, though, and this applies just to Trump, things about uh, uh, destroying official documents potentially or failing to deliver uh, national security documents on demand to officials that are authorized to take custody of them and that sort of thing. So it's when you get into willful retention, which seems to be much more in line with the Trump case. And that's why I guess I'll make some distinction there between Trump and Biden on this in that there seems to be a, a an element of scope and scale and willful unwillingness, if you will, to comply with the instruction to return documents that we see in the Trump case that we don't see, at least to this point in the Biden case. Yeah, no, I, I think that's I think that's correct. Um but to a certain extent, um, depending on what statutes you're looking at, uh, it, it doesn't matter. Well, explain. Right? I mean, I, well, I think I mean, here's the thing. It, it's from a. Um, let's let's put it this way. If, if you're you're possessing the, the documents where you're not supposed to have them, um, that's it's, it's a sort of a, as I understand it, uh, a strict liability offense. Um, now you can say there's, there's, uh, mitigating or aggravating conduct that, that goes, goes with it. Right. And I think there may be additional pieces that there are additional things that, that Trump could be charged with, uh, that, that Biden would not be. Um, but the, the, the fundamental 
problem is if you got stuff you're not supposed to have, then you're not supposed to have it. Yeah. I mean, in many cases, you're not supposed to take it out of the office, period. And that's that's where the you know the, the crime essentially occurs, uh, if you will, is is when you remove it. Um, so I think there's 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 that issue there. And but the bigger bigger thing I think uh, in terms of um, not whether or not there's a you know is it politically is, is it possible to get a, to, to prosecute this? Um, uh, sure, but but those distinctions I think may well be lost on the public because that's those are going to be some kind of fine lines to draw. Well, uh, yes and between, no. It depends between on between prosecuting yeah. a former president and not prosecuting the current president. Uh, well, actually, no. That the former president might run against him. I mean, as, as Bob Mueller would tell you, the DOJ has a policy longstanding of not indicting sitting presidents. And so I would assume that that still stands if you wanted to indict a sitting president on this. And I would have been. I, I, and I, and I, I would second that. I think yeah. that's absolutely correct. Yeah. And, and actually, in the Trump case, and I, I don't think that I'm changing my position here, I think in the Trump case, even if there had been, you know, 200, 300 classified documents and the Trump people, after they moved back to Mar-a-Lago, said, oh, we found these things. Here you go. We're returning them. To me, I would have just said, well, OK, transitions are messy. And transitions are especially messy when they're going from one party to another and i'm honestly willing to give people a lot of you know even, even messier when they're going from donald trump well, to yeah, someone else you know and so i mean i'm willing to, to to cut cut presidents and former presidents some slack on that and so to me it's like the difference between hey you walk out of the store and you forgot you had a pack of gum in your pocket what have you okay you know i'll come back and pay for it you walk out of the store and then the security guard say you didn't pay for that you say well screw you i'm not going to pay for it it's mine uh i paid for it. You know, exactly yes. you know so <laughs> that's a whole different kind of thing and so that's where i think you know that is a that is not just a distinction but it's a distinction that makes a real difference um and, I, I don't know that it makes a difference in the actual elements of the crime, though. Well, in the elements, right? it, it makes it it does make a it does make a difference in terms of what crimes the individual yeah. can be charged with. But in terms of the, the mishandling classified documents, no, it's the same underlying crime. But when you get into willfully withholding and destroying, then you get into weird things like Espionage Act, depending on what the classified documents are and all that. And by the way, in neither case do we know the nature of these classified documents, and that can make a difference, certainly. Sure. I would think. Um, yeah. My, well, my other thought, though, is, I mean, on the politics of this, though, I mean, wouldn't you agree this makes yeah. uh, a prosecution of Trump much more difficult? Well, I, I say I wouldn't Not say legally, it makes it more difficult. I would say it enact, it it imposes more of a political cost because now, like you said, people who don't understand the nuances of this and the details would say, hey, Trump did it and Biden does it and apparently everyone does it. But, of course, they're going after Trump because he's Trump, not understanding these what I would argue to be pretty important differences. So, yeah, I agree with you on that. But in the end, um, I, I don't think anything's going to legally. I don't think President Biden is, is assuming nothing else comes out. Uh, I don't really see that there's going to be much here aside from, again, that sort of perception argument for a lot of a lot of folks who don't really know the details of these cases, which is most people. Right. And, and I, I, I could argue, I mean, I think there's. And again, we don't know enough details necessarily to argue the differences between one or the other. Um, but, uh, well, I would disagree because I think we know some important details about, uh, the, the, uh, willingness or unwillingness of the parties involved to cooperate. Uh, we know at least something initially about who approached whom with the doc, with the documents who asked for the documents or in the Biden's case, you know, they actually yeah. volunteered them. So I think we do know enough to say that there are some already clear distinctions, but there are, there could be more things that come out uh, in the course of, well, both of these investigations, in fact. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I'm, um, but riddle me this here. Um, so <laughs> what happens uh, if, if you have a, a prosecution of, of uh, a Trump, um, followed by the election of Trump. Uh, and then where does Joe Biden sit at that point, having being a, a former uh, and thus indictable president? Um, 
Well, I mean, I, it seems to I mean, me. That's, yeah. that's that's my concern as we start to we start to veer into banana republic. Oh, I, I agree, because this is the sort of thing that I think if even a decade ago, one would suggest you you'd even consider indicting a president for having right. a few classes. You would say sort documents. of a no harm, no foul. Exactly. Everybody walk away. But yeah, that's not which I still think is the correct I, I agree. Absolutely. You want to give people a little bit of slack, but clearly this is a give no quarter type of environment, unfortunately. And I, I see this as as the beginning of kind of a new normal for this sort of thing, which is a, a scary thought. Well, I don't know. When, I don't know if it's the beginning, right? Because I think this has been go, this. The, and I've I've complained to to you about this. Uh, you've done nothing about it <laughs> um, for for years now. But the the um, the, the criminalization of politics. Um, that I think it's it's a that that's a tremendous problem, and that's been going on. I, I don't know, probably at least a good twenty, thirty years. And, and I understand there's difficulties sometimes in drawing lines between uh, what to do when when politicians uh, do commit criminal offenses, and some of them do. Um, but there's a lot of uh, I'm thinking, um, for example, the the prosecution of the uh, 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 Murkowski, um, Ted Murkowski. Uh, which which uh, struck me as is over and and again I think the Justice Department is sometimes put in a place where uh, look there there's undoubtable criminal activity and you've got to prosecute it but there's also uh, times where there are ticky tack um, you know campaign finance violation type um, uh, I'm thinking also some of the uh, the, the Trump uh, cronies uh, the the foreign agent registration penalties that sort of thing. Um, which, which again, are are in regulatory, right? They are, um, uh, they're malum prohibitum, not uh, malum in se. But will, in, in right? some instances, of course, you have those prosecutions as a way to use leverage on those folks to get them to provide information about larger criminal offenses or potential criminal sure, offenses. Sure. And that's sure. why they can be important. And I, well, all I'm saying, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm saying that we, it's important to look at these things in the larger context because yeah. usually criminal enterprises have lesser and greater crimes and criminals and ideally you want yeah. to use the little fish to get to the bigger fish right and um and, and in this case we've got the, the two biggest fish we, they're, they're, they're we can have starting out yeah um but i would all i would i would be remiss um if i didn't mention the reports that it was joe biden who suggested a um uh oh gosh i'm, I'm blanking on the act um the um, uh, which one? You, Logan Act. Okay, Logan Act true. prosecution against uh, Michael Flynn, right? Which kicked off a whole lot of this this trouble, um, and it, it's that kind of thing of the not not the look. What can we do that's that's embarrassing? You know, the, what what can we pull out that's embarrassing and will hurt this person politically? Uh, cost them leverage, cost them votes, versus uh, what up. can we do to lock them up? Yeah, yeah. and then <laughs> that was Trump said, look, yeah. lock her up. Yeah, absolutely. So this this kind of segues very nicely, I think, into our next story we wanted to talk about, and that's that you know, this week House Republicans uh, I think they really sort of formally kicked off what uh, we all expect to be a I guess I'd call it a flurry of investiga investigations. They that's a flurry, right? Flock of geese. They come in flurries. They come in yeah. flurries. Okay, and they did that in part by approving the formation of a select select subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government, to be chaired by. Representative Jim Jordan, a former guest on this show, I should point out. I know him. Yeah, absolutely. So there we go. Uh, a connection to that, uh, for better or worse. But anyway, the committee will have 13 members. They'll be appointed by Speaker McCarthy with not more than five appointed in consultation with Minority Leader Jeffrey. So that's about as bipartisan as it's going to get. I mean, technically, you look at margins in the House, it, would, it should probably be seven to six. But eh, that's, you know, reasonably bipartisan. Anyway. The resolution on this instructs the committee to issue a final report no later than January 2nd of 2025 regarding primarily the expansive role of Article II authority vested in the executive branch to collect information on or otherwise investigate citizens of the United States, including ongoing criminal investigations, and also includes any unconstitutional, illegal, or unethical activities committed against citizens of the United States. Now, in his floor speech that followed the vote on this, Jordan said, this is about the First Amendment, something you guys, referring to the Democrats, used to care about. 
Jordan claimed that the executive branch has been uh, employing a double standard trying to silence conservatives. He said, we don't want to go after anyone. We just want it to stop and we want to respect the First Amendment to the Constitution that the greatest country in the world has. Now, a number of House Republicans are really making uh, uh, comparisons between this committee and the church committee of the 1970s. That was a huge. I was just going to say the church committee. committee. You're wrong about that. We'll talk about why. But anyway, uh, I get why it's a talking point. And the church committee was really important. It uncovered decades of abuses by the FBI, CIA, just some. There was a time when when senators, when presidents would quake in their boots about what the FBI had on them. There's a uh, there, there's a, a story about Gary Hart was one of the, I think he's the only living member of the church committee because it was back in 1975, uh, 75. Oh. And he was asked, uh, he, had, he was asked by Frank Church who chaired it said, well, you know, what do you think? How do you think we should start off? And, uh, and Hart said, you know, I think it'd be really good if we asked the FBI to give us the files that they have on us. And there was just silence in the room. And, one of the senior members said, uh, I don't know that I want to see their file on me. So, I mean, that, this was the way, because you got to remember Hoover yeah. ran the FBI with as his own personal little fiefdom for like, like nearly half a century. There was some seriously bad stuff going on. There's no question about it. Now, Democrats, on the other hand, are suggesting more that it's along the lines of the uh, House Un-American Activities Committee, which, of course, now is widely seen not as a wonderful success of democracy and reform, but as a uh, Trump Trump word would be a witch hunt, right? So, Jay, yeah. I, I, I would expect that the truth is in either of those extremes, but uh, how do you see this weaponization committee? Well, first of all, I don't like the name. They could have come up with a much better name. Um, but, I agree. Um, but... But that notwithstanding, right? I mean, I, again, whether it's even just the, the Jordan Committee, or right? like they call it the Church Committee, or I suppose that may be what it will be known to as, as history as, as uh, in later later decades. But um, no, I, I think it's it's vitally important that this committee does its work. And you mentioned the Church Committee uh, uncovered a whole lot of uh, bad stuff that the FBI and the CIA were doing um, that one people didn't know they were doing before you had a church committee investigate uh so i i I think there's something to be said there that um just because you know we haven't found everything and the committee hasn't met yet doesn't mean that there there aren't some isn't some skullduggery uh going on in fact i think there's a lot of uh smoke that would indicate fire Um, great you know, I mean, do you, I mean, well, I, to say the FBI yeah. doesn't keep files on people anymore. I mean, I, I would, I would expect, I expect there are cabinets uh, with the label Donald J. Trump on them. I, the I yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I, one of my concerns, and this points out why I have some issues with the church committee comparison. Uh, the church committee, the vote to form that in the Senate was 82 to four. It was a six right. to five committee. The final report was approved by every single one of the committee members. Uh, Frank Church wrote that uh, the, the the members work together in remarkable harmony. I mean, this is not what we're setting up here. And so my concern is that it's not just the word weaponization. This is a committee, it seems to me, that has already decided on where it's looking and what it's looking for. And if this were just uh, a, oh, the House exercising its oversight, which I think it should, especially about law enforcement, and they were just saying, we're just going to go where the evidence takes us. And, hey, you know, we, we're concerned with protecting every American's civil liberties. I would be all for it. But all of the references I've heard from Jordan, or many of the references, have been about conservatives. And this seems to me to be a committee out to prove that the federal government is anti-conservative. And, and that, to me, if you start with the conclusion you're already going to end with, that's, pr- that's a problem. So. Um... I, I agree with the statement. I, I don't necessarily agree with its applicability to the committee. But going back to, to Jordan's initial remarks, right, uh, saying the Democrats, it says something some of you used to believe in. Um, uh, granted, I think that's that's some hyperbole, and it's it's sort of you know the Jordan uh, floor speech, raw meat type thing. Um, but that said, I, I don't think you can disagree that there used to be a lot more civil libertarians uh, among Democratic ranks than there are now. That there was there was less of the sense of 
um, uh, circle the wagons uh, around the FBI or the CIA or the NSA uh, or, or these these agencies. Um, and in fact, you know, a lot of the victims of the of, of the or of the, the crimes that were uncovered by the Church Committee were were liberals, right? It was it was abuses of uh, uh, conservative um, uh, administrations and, and law enforcement and intelligence against liberal activists in many cases, not in all cases, but many. Um, and and I think you know that there were a, a whole lot of Republicans who who back then said yes, this is this is wrong, uh, and I think they're still there. I I. I Wonder. I mean, you don't see as many um, uh, uh, Democrats. Uh, again, there you seems know, I, to be this I, I, instinctive I, protective protection of of anything FBI, anything government. Well, I I think that there certainly is that, that there is that partisan impulse, no question. But I think that if if I'm being asked to believe the sort of more theoretical and reasonable claims you make, number one. It wouldn't be called the Weaponization Committee. Number two, Jim Jordan, an election denier, would not be the chair of it. And so now some, some, might, some of this might depend on who McCarthy appoints to this committee. But, but my sense is that all of the arguments that Democrats had about Adam Schiff and his stuff about Trump and Russia are going to be equally applicable, if not more so, to this. And so it's, you know, to me, the idea that this is anything but an attempt to make a you know, partisan advantage out of what could be, I think, if it were handled correctly. And, and I think there may be some other House oversight activities that are going to be handled much more responsibly. We'll get to that in a minute. Could be something that would be very valuable. But there, there doesn't seem to be the interest in that. It's all about owning the libs. It can always it can always be both. I mean, you, you can, can have it? the committee that that's for a partisan advantage, but also uh, for a, a good uh, particular uh, can it though, I mean I, I, yeah I, I, I made I made the case Man, I don't, that's I don't think part so. of way that's part of how this is the way that how the system works right I, I think Jay that that's you're the, you're living in a time warp and it's kind of touching and, and quaint in a way that you still there's a part of you that really still thinks that 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 Congress and the Republican Party and the partisan partisanship operates like it did in the 1990s and and that 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 sort of pre Gingrich sort of world is gone and you just need to accept well, that, that. I think. I mean, I I think back, but but uh, I mean, do you think, for example, the the Watergate uh, committee in the the seventies, um, you know, when when they put that together, they said, "Look, guys, we're not doing this for any kind of partisan advantage. We just want to uh, get the facts." No, of course, well, of course, uh, yeah. were, Democrats sure. were doing it for a partisan advantage, and they yeah. they obtained a partisan advantage, uh, and they got the facts, and I think you know did a service to the country. In the process. And again, that's, you know, if you have um, ambition, the, counteract ambition, but the reason uh, they could, that's, that's but, a good thing. But the reason they could do that service is because there were there was enough Republican support of what they were doing, as opposed to, you know, like 10 congressional Democrats, most of whom weren't able to win or didn't even bother to run for reelection. And so that's I mean, the amount of partisanship today as it is compared to the 1970s, makes it, I would argue, almost impossible to conduct uh, very fair investigations that aren't, that aren't predominantly political. And then when, when each party says, well, you know, they started it, so we're just going to crank it up to the next level. I mean, that, where does that sort of logic end? It ends in a bad place. Well, I, I guess my question, sort of just turning it on, on its, its head, is that, well, why can't Democrats support, again, setting aside the, the name, which I think is dumb, and they could have done much better with that. Um, and it would have been a much better committee, much better selling point down the road. Um, but why can't Democrats get on board and say, yeah, you know, if there are abuses uh, from the FBI uh, and intelligence agencies, uh, we want them we want them stopped, even if those abuses yeah. happen to have been against conservatives. And I and I even if those abuses happen to have been against Donald Trump. And I, I'm a Democrat who says that. And I believe there are congressional Democrats who believe that. And that's why I, I'm withholding a lot depends on the members who are chosen for this. You can you can envision sure. membership of this committee that will make it nothing but a dog and pony show, nothing but a screaming, awful sham on both sides. Well, you can also envision a composition of this committee that might make it less likely to be that way, though, again, with Jim Jordan heading it, one of the most, I would argue, sort of polarizing figures in 
Congress. That's that that's going to make it tough right from the get go. And I think that's a signal right away. So I think the other thing is is going to be, though, uh, what evidence is is adduced and brought forward. Sure. Absolutely. By this committee. Yeah. It's going to make a difference. Yeah. Definitely. Right. I mean, they 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 may come up with. Uh, you know, smoking gun type uh, uh, violations. Yeah, and they I may come see up that. With Absolutely. But, but I hope they, it, they may come up with nothing. And that's and I think that's sort of the difference. Right. If, if it is sort of, again, the ticky tack uh, type uh, stuff um, uh, and, and it's in the committee tries to blow it up into this is a constitutional crisis, uh, then I think it, it, it flops. Um, but if there is, you know, so-called type smoking gun material, um, and and I I I think there's there's I, I'm sure there'll be some yeah I'm sure there'll be some yeah. my my concern is that you're going to have the five Democrats saying okay we would like to subpoena these folks because there are potentially some issues with that don't just involve silencing conservatives and the response oh, of yeah. Jordan well, I would and say absolutely and, subpoena bring them in and yeah. that's why yeah. that's why if you were chairing this committee I'd be all for it. But, you yeah. know, you're unfortunately, I can't get you to run for Congress. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Jay, you're not as nearly as much help well, me here as you would be uh, in Congress. I'll, I'll put in a good word to Jim and, uh, and uh, pass I, along our suggestions. Maybe, maybe that'll help. But, you know, I, I mentioned that I thought that there were and there could be in this 118 Congress House investigation committees that might have a chance of being, in my view, uh, a little better run and organized and chaired. I wanted to mention one because this investigation is entirely separate from the House Oversight Committee's uh, investigation. They're calling it the Biden family investigation, um, which, right. according to the Biden... It's also a, a sort of a city silly name. I, I, I kind of like that one a little better. I don't know. But they, they, have a, they have a Biden family investigation website already set up, uh, so that's handy. But it's focusing on the Biden family's domestic and international business dealings, and they're, they're going to try to determine whether these dealings have compromised U.S. national security and Biden's ability to lead with impartiality. And that, to me, it's like, that sounds like a reasonable thing to investigate. But there's also, I think, a clear assumption built into the investigation even before it begins, because there's a, on the summary page, they assert, Members of the Biden family have a pattern of peddling access to the highest levels of government to enrich themselves, often to the detriment of U.S. interests. Now, those damn Bidens. Now, no, no. But what I'm saying is that they're right. it's it seems it's that's rather conclusory for the exactly. before the committee's met. And yes. even if you say, well, that seems pretty reasonable to say on behalf of a particular Biden, Hunter Biden, who's going to get more media than he ever wanted, but arguing that it's members plural of the Biden family, and that is a pattern, and that it is often to the detriment of U.S. interests, that, that sounds exactly like they're assuming, uh, assuming facts not yet in evidence, I guess, is my concern. Yeah. So, yeah. but, so that's my negatives on that. But I will say, I, I, I have, I'm, I think I'm okay with the- But, who, be, but who other than you goes and checks out the web pages? You know, I, I don't know. But anyway, the guy sharing it, <laughs> James Comer, Jim Comer, he's a Kentucky Republican. He's in his fourth term. I like what he said, at least, on this. Uh, he said uh, earlier this summer, in fact, he had an interview with Politico. He said, I'm not going to be chasing some of these right-wing blogs and some of their conspiracy theories. This isn't a dog and pony show. This isn't a committee where everyone's going to scream and be outraged and try to make witnesses look like fools. Unlike Adam Schiff, we're going to have something concrete, substantive on Hunter Biden, or I'm not going to talk about Hunter Biden. And, you know, uh, Comer's, he's not a moderate, but he's not a Freedom Caucus guy. And he was in the minority of House Republicans who voted to affirm the certification of the state's electoral college vote. So like, if you're going to if you're going to have oversight of the executive branch or an investigation of Biden, and I think in this case with the Hunter Biden stuff, hey, that seems reasonable to me. This is the sort of guy I think is reasonable to lead that kind of investigation. And I'm I'm keeping an open mind on this one. What's your what's your? I agree. On this one? I agree. No, and I, I think that's I think that's that's a good, uh, um, good, uh, uh, good thing to investigate. Um, yeah, I mean, why not? Yeah, and I, I, I'd I'd rather I'd rather it's not called the Biden family. I mean, sort of that that uh, uh, again seems sort of narrow. Um, you know, I mean, I think maybe you ought to look at you could you could 
call it other stuff about influence peddling, you know, throughout without just making it look so directed as a, a hey, we're going after this one guy and his family, because I think that's the kind of thing we want to get away from. But um, obviously, Hunter Biden uh, plays plays big, bigly yeah. uh, in that. So, uh, you know, one other thing I, I wanted to get your take on is uh, this actually goes back to that weaponization uh, committee is one of the things they said they're going to be looking at or potentially looking at is ongoing investigations. And and to me, and I would think to a lot of folks, that's kind of a red flag because what does that potentially do to the integrity of ongoing investigations? There's a longstanding practice, not just with DOJ, but I think with with uh, uh, prosecutors everywhere on every level to not release details of ongoing investigations. I think in many cases for some very, very good reasons to protect the safety and reputations of the people involved. And I think there are legitimate concerns that once you have this committee doing that, that there might be some very real threats to those things. And I wanted to get uh, your, your thoughts on that. Um, I think, I think that's right. Um, but it depends on, on what, what we're talking about in terms of ongoing investigations, right? I mean, you're talking ongoing criminal investigations by say the FBI. Um, I, I would think there could be a problem in terms of if you're investigating, uh, is the FBI conducting an investigation fairly uh, or is this a political vendetta? Uh, and or if you were trying to um, get information to say the FBI is maybe uh, soft peddling uh, other stuff. Um, uh, and, and you ask the FBI, hey, we'd like information on all these topics. Um, if they are allowed to simply have the response of, hey, that's an ongoing investigation, sorry, we can't talk to you, uh, that would seem to defeat the committee's purposes. So I, I would agree in principle, right, that you can't, uh, you know, you shouldn't interfere with that. But uh, I think the committee should be, be uh, cautious uh, when they when they get that, that response, that excuse, and to see, listen, is it really? Uh, something related to the ongoing investigation, or can it, can you just keep the investigation ongoing so that you don't have to answer the committee? Yeah, I mean, there is a line between, I think, appropriate oversight and keeping the executive branch agencies, which, you know, are created and funded by Congress uh, on their toes and staying within the law. I think that's it's critically important. But you can also see that going over into essentially uh, intimidation, and that's where it becomes a concern. And I'm doing my best. I will do my best to keep an open mind until we actually have, you know, uh, some sort of deliverables from these committees, right, some sort of actual information. Uh, But like I said, especially in the case of the weaponization thing, just the fact knowing Jim Jordan's recent past and, and statements, it's it's going to be hard for me to see this turning out uh, in, in, in a in a good way, in a fair way. But I hope I'm wrong about that, you know, because if there All are, right. I, I, I agree with you, there are, I don't think you could really take a deep dive, a serious look at any large law enforcement uh, investigatory organization and not find something Right. I mean, that's I, I think that's just it would be surprising to me if you found nothing. I'd be concerned about any investigation that said, no, the FBI, the CIA, the, the DOJ, they're all clean as a whistle. Don't no problem. Do a good job. Yeah, yep. Exactly. That that would that would raise a red flag for me. So I, I just hope that there will be enough of enough Democrats who are pushing for fairness on that and enough Republicans who agree that this should be uh, at least an attempt at fairness and we get some you know, positive results out of it. That would be great. All right. I'll do my part to try <laughs> to keep it fair. All right. We're going to take just a quick break and we'll be back to talk about, well, more congressional stuff and also that big FAA uh, airline outage and what that might mean. All right, Jay. So, you know, last week, we talked about the all those concessions that Kevin McCarthy had to make to his sort of right flank in order to get the votes he needed to be elected speaker. And mo- well, many of those concessions came in the form of his agreeing to change the internal rules of the chamber. And of course, that's not something he can do unilaterally, requiring uh, you know that it requires a majority of the chamber to approve. And early this week, that approval did come, and essentially everything we talked about last week was what happened, though what we, uh, uh, I I would say that our general position on that last week was that we didn't really see these deals as being 
particularly outrageous or that they unreasonably empowered the right wing of the party, though I'd say the Freedom Caucus. I was I had, I had more issues than you did. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they use their leverage in an understandable way. I mean, there's something like a quarter of the Democratic caucus. And I'm like, well, OK, they they could use their numbers. And sure, now they're punching a little bit even more above their weight. But honestly, I don't see it as being that big of a deal, but I, I didn't want to. So, yeah, you, what, what's your take now? You've had a, another week to kind of think about it as well. We've seen the details. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much uh, where I was last week, right? That um, I think some of those are, are good, helpful, uh, needed reforms. Uh, others are just kind of recipes for gumming up the works. Um, so I think giving more independence to committee chairs, I think that's great. Uh, I, I think um, uh, the, you know, uh, flash vote for a speaker is is a terrible idea. Um, so yeah, well, well let I'm, me ask I'm you this because the flash this is good. The flash vote for a speaker thing that was that was in place until the uh, until Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats took over Congress. That's how yeah. it always had been. And so is, is this Jay Carson? Is, is this Jay Carson coming out <laughs> against tradition? No, I'm. But I'm. I'm also. Um, uh happy to uh, after experience um uh yield yield to uh you know learn learn from experience um so you don't and you could say also time times were different then uh and and my concern is um uh, again that that could be used to gum up the works uh at inopportune times so so, so is this and, it, and it's and it's sad and it's sad because in some ways it it diminishes the power of the, the caucus and the majority party. Um, but does uh, it really? I don't think we're going to see many. Now, this is this under the rules. This is a privileged motion, which means that it takes precedence and anyone can call for it. And basically everything stops to have to have a vote on this. But I don't think it's going to happen. I just don't see it as being if you have the votes to remove the speaker and you want to. It doesn't matter if it's one or five or a majority as that would needs to call for it as it was in the uh, in the Democratic House under Speaker Pelosi. So I, I just maybe but that's maybe. the thing that's the thing you don't you don't call for it to actually remove the speaker you call for it to gum up the work i don't think it's well because it takes precedent we'll, we'll over see. everything else well we'll see but I, I my prediction is that we'll come back in six months or a year and even sooner and i'll say well what happened to all those votes to oust the speaker and you'll say well mike you were right again uh there really weren't any votes to oust the speaker or maybe okay. there were a couple but right. they didn't we gum will, up the works we'll make that a wager okay yeah. <laughs> sounds good so you know, one thing we didn't, though, talk about last week was uh, Kevin McCarthy's longstanding pledge to remove a number of Democrats from committees. Specifically, uh, I'm going to first focus on removing Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell from the House Intelligence Committee. Now, you might recall that Schiff and Swalwell, there were two of the leaders of the Donald Trump impeachments. Uh, Schiff was the lead manager of the first one. Uh, Swalwell was one of the nine impeachment managers for the second one. And a lot of Democrats see this move by McCarthy as retribution for that, as well as for Democrats stripping two Republicans, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar, of their committee assignments in the last Congress. And McCarthy, like I said, for months, he's clearly stated his intention to remove them from the Intelligence Committee. He's saying it's for other reasons. In Schiff's case, McCarthy argues it's about about Schiff lying to the public about ties between Donald Trump and Russia. In McCarthy's words, he put America for four years through an impeachment that he knew was a lie. Now, in the case of Swalwell, McCarthy is citing these ties, alleged ties to a suspected Chinese spy who was a fundraiser for mm -hmm. Swalwell's 2014 re-election campaign. McCarthy said, if you got the briefing I got from the FBI, you wouldn't have Swalwell on any committee. Um, now, he wasn't charged with any wrongdoing in this, and he cut ties with this Chinese national when he was informed of the spy allegations. And a lot of people on the left see this as just a big, phony pretext on the right. And then finally, I should mention, McCarthy has said he plans to remove Ilhan Omar from her Foreign Affairs Committee post due to her history of anti-Semitic comments. So those are the three Democrats. He almost certainly will be 
removing when committee assignments are made. Jay, what do you take? And I think we should maybe look at that the Intelligence Committee thing separately, because I think it is kind of a separate issue. But but what's your take on that? Yeah, I, I think that's the right call on all three. Okay, um, well, let's start with those two. So starting with Schiff, um, his, your, the presence on the Intelligence Committee uh, gives members uh, ability to have information that other members and the public at large don't. And with that, I think should come a responsibility to use your position on the intelligence committee uh, responsibly. And I don't think that's what Schiff did. Schiff made a lot, lots and lots of statements uh, under the guise of, hey, look, I'm, I'm chair of the intelligence committee. Uh, I know what's going on. Uh, let me tell you, oh boy. Um, and that turned out to be false. And I think that's a, that was an abuse of his power. Uh, it it hurt the uh, committee. It hurt uh, uh, a lot of folks. So I'm 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 all for that. Um, in the case of Swalwell, I, I think maybe you're undersuffering a little bit. As as I understand, the evidence is he was actually sleeping with someone who was a Chinese spy for some time. Now you can say, well, they they broke up, and as soon as he found out about it, uh, he ended it. But um, not sleeping with a, a, a Chinese spy for someone on the the uh, intelligence committee, I think, would be a something you'd, you'd look for, right? Um, I would think anyone who is on that committee ought to be, all of their relationships ought to be analyzed, especially if they have any kind of uh, close relationships with foreign nationals, um, especially if they have uh, close relationships with Chinese foreign nationals. Um, that, so to me, that's, that's an absolute no-brainer. Um, you know, I, I, would, I would say even if you've got someone who is completely legitimate, um, ties with with uh, someone who happens to be a foreign national that should come under a great deal of scrutiny before you put them on that committee uh, and and uh, allow them access to the information that they have access to now so but that should i guess there are two questions i have and those i think in in general aren't unreasonable points but i guess i have concerns with number one who gets to make that determination uh, the speaker. And, and number two uh, do you have any concerns that that determination might be made with partisan uh, advantage in mind? Well, you, it can be both. Again, you, you can you can get rid of someone who is an absolute weasel, um, uh, and it can serve your partisan advantage. And and when it does both, well, that's kind of an indication that the system's working. Right? So, so you think you think um, McCarthy is going to would would veto any Republican members who wanted to be on or stay on the Intelligence Committee, even if they. Uh, uh, Funnel documents to Trump's folks, and I, I seem to recall, and I can't recall. I would hope so. Yeah, I, I can't yeah, recall I the. Well, so. But I think again, this is where you're living in the past, Jay. I, I, that's not that's not how it works. And I, I'm I'm blanking on the member's name, but there was a, a high-ranking House uh, House Republican who was who had clearly given documents to Donald Trump, and I forget that he wasn't supposed to have, well, and I forget who he was. But my point being is that I, I don't disagree with your points in general. If it is the case, and I don't agree with this to the extent that maybe you do, that Adam Schiff knowingly lied about Donald Trump's ties to Russia, as opposed to engaged in hyperbole, like apparently is okay for Jim well, let's, Jordan let's to do. Let's even back off the knowingly. Let's just say recklessly made statements with, well, with uh, reckless disregard of their truth. If, if, we're going to, if we're going to disqualify members of the House Intelligence Committee for reckless statements, I don't know if we're going to be able to get a quorum. Well, maybe so. Um, so, I mean, that's my problem but, but no, is that it becomes I, a political retribution tool. And that's, I, I think that's not okay. You know, I mean, I, I guess when, though it's at some point, um, the system runs on political retribution. Right? It seems that way. I yeah. mean, if, if you are, <laughs> yeah. if you, no, I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying if you are, um, you know, I've, 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 I've been in the minority, I've been in the majority and yeah, majority is better. But, but um, I, I find because, it because look, there's, there's that happens in every, um, uh, every time there's a, a change in leadership, whether it's in a, a state house, whether it's in Congress, whether it's on a board of directors, whether it's wherever, right? Um, you you take out their guys and you put in your guys, or if there are people who are are egregious, you take out those egregious guys and let the other people put in someone in who's who's less egregious. I think well, I think it's fine if you want to say, hey, Democrats, you have this other seat here or these two seats um, on intelligence and you can fill them with whoever you want 
except for uh, Schiff and Swalwell for the you know the reasons we say stated. And, and I should point out that it's important to make a distinction between removing someone from a specific committee for, I would say, clear, uh, ideally proven uh, information that links them to something that could create a conflict or make them inappropriate for that committee, especially when it's intelligence, and doing something like stripping someone of all of their committee assignments, which is designed to be a punitive measure, which is what... Right, which is what they did to Marjorie Taylor Greene, just because she's nuts. Well, because she's nuts and she threatened violence against members of Congress and, and elected well, officials. Yeah. And, you know, so and that it's goes than, with the being nuts. Well, yeah. there, there, there are plenty of nuts who don't necessarily like like uh, Gosar, you know, films videos of him chopping uh, AOC's head off. You know, that's uh, I mean, it was an anime right. thing. But still, the, the point being is that, yeah, I think that is a different sort of a different sort of a thing than this is much more strategic, I guess you could say. And in a way. I wouldn't say it's more justifiable because it's different offenses, right? This is not designed, at least ostensibly, not designed to be retribution. It's designed, if you take McCarthy at face value, to be simply not allowing people on committees who are unsuited to be on that committee. Yeah. And I guess yeah, I, no, would, I, I would agree. And, and, and again, it goes back to um, it's, it's the speaker's prerogative. Right. Yeah, in the um, end. Yeah. In the end, it is. You're right. It's the speaker's prerogative. And so I'm not saying don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that he doesn't have the authority or that this is somehow unconstitutional or what have you. I'm just saying that, you know, there there is a yeah. reason why for a long, long time there has been a tradition of allowing the minority party to basically staff the minority side yeah. of committees as they see fit. Yeah. And we, we, and I think, and I think that's, I think that in most cases, that's, that's appropriate and correct. And and do you, uh, and and I I would, let's, let's put this, if if I was, um, um, the, uh, Hakeem Jeffries, uh, I would, I would be happy to staff those committees with two people, at least intelligence with two people other than, um, or, or all three, right. The, the, the people we mentioned. Well, yeah, well, I, I don't know. I mean, certainly there are plenty of qualified. And to me, to me, it's sort of just because their presence there I, I creates more saying. headaches than it than it helps. Maybe so. Maybe so. I, I at least in the longer term, I, that's not necessarily a, an argument I would disagree with. But but I think there's a distinction here between those two, which I wanted to look at them separately, and and Omar, because now in that, that in both of those cases, you can say, hey, someone who's on the intelligence committee. Let's assume that all those things that that McCarthy is saying about Schiff and about Swalwell are accurate. Well, yes, you're right. We don't want somebody, even if somebody was inadvertently sleeping with a Chinese Chinese and they didn't know that person was a spy, still better to err on the side of caution. Fair enough, I think. More of a gray area, but fair enough. And certainly, if someone is knowingly telling lies about information that they received in the intelligence committee briefings to the general public. Yes, that person should not be on the intelligence committee, but it's a very different thing when you say, you know what? Someone should not be on the foreign affairs committee because they're saying things we don't like about foreign affairs and uh, how things, uh, how things are in Israel and the, the power or alleged power of the Israel lobby in the United States. That's a very different thing. That's actually, that's viewpoint discrimination as opposed to, disqualifying someone for being unsuited. And I think those are two very different things. Well, they are two, two very different things. Um, but I also think it's the speaker's prerogative. Oh yeah. Again, I'm not arguing exercise. that he can't oh, do it. And, and, and just, and, and, and it's also just uh, smart um, not to have Elon Omar on the, the foreign relations committee. Um, and you don't see this as just punishing a member of the squad. No, no, I don't. Okay. I mean, because she's she said a lot of of things that, um, I mean, it's it's not even construed as anti-Semitic. It's it's you know, I, I think pretty much over the line. And I think if a Republican member did it, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, uh, yeah, you you ought to be removed from from your committee assignment, especially one that deals with a sensitive ally in a sensitive region. Um, Absolutely. I think that's so, that's appropriate. I mean, fine. Like, here's, here's the thing. There's how many 
how many Democrat uh, Democratic members of Congress? Two hundred eighteen. Um, Two hundred. Find somebody else. Yeah, I remember. You know, Jay, I remember when you guys used to care about the First Amendment. Uh, yeah, I, oh, mean, I do. I, she can. She can say whatever. She can say whatever she. Seems she can say whatever selective. she wants about uh, Israel and Palestine and uh, make anti-Semitic cracks and all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, that doesn't mean it's a good idea to have her on the Foreign Relations Committee doing so. But see, that's what I'm saying. It changes It changes what we're talking about. At one point, when we're talking no, no, about the I, Intelligence I, I Committee. One, okay. is, one is sort of a conduct criminal type discrimination. Another is a viewpoint discrimination. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and I say, yeah, viewpoint discrimination. Um, uh, let's put it this way: the um, uh, the the January January sixth committee um, that was staffed with a whole lot of viewpoint discrimination uh, in terms of they didn't want anyone who had the viewpoint that uh, you know this wasn't uh, a crime, wasn't a riot, was or, or it was a riot, but it wasn't a, a, a coup attempt. Um, I, I would disagree and, with that. And look, that, I think that was I think that's a qualifications thing because some of the people who want to be on the committee flat out flat out were arguing. Uh, were saying false things that had been okay. demonstrate demonstrably demonstrably sorry false, and so I think that's a, that's a whole different thing. But I think that just confuses the issue because in this instance, again, it becomes you know you like and I, rightly so. You often ask me about what the limiting principle is, and yes. here I think that's a very good question, and there's not a good answer. So okay, she said some things that were clearly over the line, and for all of those things that were clearly over the line that I am aware of, she has issued some sort of combination of a, tra- a retraction or a, or apology, and maybe it didn't seem sincere, what have you. There are some things that I would not call anti-Semitic, but were certainly harshly critical of Israel, which I think are it, and again, you you want to make sure that the Foreign Affairs Committee is not just the sort of you know Israel lobby committee, right? That's a good thing to have viewpoint diversity on this committee. I would expect we that, yeah. would, that would be a good thing. Yeah, and that's my but concern. I think I think it's also it, it's a good thing not to have someone um, who is not with the program. Get with the program. Come on, yeah, pro Israel. No, I mean that's right. That's that's sort of the you know it's almost like on the you know. You're not going to hire the the CEO of Pepsi to sit on the Coke's uh, board of directors. Um, but you, you know, see, I but mean, isn't that wait a second? Maybe here. maybe they maybe they <laughs> maybe they would be helped by a difference of opinion, a different of viewpoint, uh, to say no, no, Pepsi's well, really much better. You guys suck. Well, wait a second, um, and I, I think look, it's interesting. I think it's interesting the way you're looking at that because that would suggest then that the job of the Foreign Affairs Committee is at least in some part to be uncritically supportive of Israel. And I would no, I would reject that assumption. No, but it's it's the majority has uh, to the extent Congress um, dabbles in foreign policy, right? The majority has the right to sort of set the priorities, set the goals, set the um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for um, the the tone, the tenor of of. Of, uh, oh, that of tone thing. And, yeah, tone is a dangerous the, the tenor, word, isn't right. it? And, yeah. And this, this goes to listen. Uh, we, the you know, the, the majority party uh, thinks that our relationship with uh, Israel is important to our strategic national interests, um, and I agree. And, well, and it's it's decidedly unhelpful to have someone like uh, yeah. Ilan Omar on that committee. That now, did- if she wants to make whatever floor speeches she wants, she's she's welcome to do that. Um, but but she doesn't have a, a guaranteed spot on yeah. the committee. I I I understand your arguments. It it raises it rings alarm bells for me. You know, in the academic world, we have uh, various qualifications for for tenure and promotion, and often in many cases, one of them is something called collegiality. And you know, that's of course just so incredibly well, vague, right? It's like, well, is he a is she a good colleague? You know, what exactly does that mean? Well, could that be a way of silencing or somehow punishing people who maybe we just well, find kind well, of but here's the thing. It's, it's, not, it's not something, though, that they're 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 kicking her out saying, oh, she's just not a good colleague uh, there, there, there. He's been pretty specific about here's why. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, because, and, and I think it's. But, but yeah. you know, because she says things we don't like. I mean, yes. that's it, you know, so. Yes. To be clear, you're not you're not arguing that this isn't 
that this isn't viewpoint discrimination. You're saying it, it's fine. No, I'm, it I'm saying, but it's, it's perfectly acceptable gotcha. viewpoint discrimination. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So, you know, I, here's, the, here's the thing. If, if the Speaker of the House were to somehow say, at some point, say, uh, Representative Elon Omar, I'm not going to allow you to speak on any bills related to Israel. Uh, I'm going to shut you up in the middle of a floor speech if you if you say anti-Israeli things, uh, all that. Well, then, no, I think that would definitely be a, a, a problem. Gotcha. Um, okay. But just say you just because you don't you don't get to sit on this committee um, um, when there's plenty of other people who could who could serve ably on it. Um, you know, I okay. I, I don't. I think that's legit. I, I see your point and I, I disagree, but I also think that it is an entirely reasonable point and you are not either ignorant or evil for advancing it. So how about that? Well, thanks. Yeah, you know, I generally think you're not, you don't fall into either of those two categories. So that actually brings us to the close of today's show. But before we go, we want to thank one of our newest supporters on Patreon, Kevin. Kevin, thank you so much. And thanks to everyone who supports the show. It wouldn't be possible without your help. And if you're not already a supporter. We hope you'll consider becoming one. Uh, when you become a supporter, you get all sorts of good stuff. You get ad-free versions of everything we put out, as well as our supporter-exclusive midweek show. And you can join our very active and always, as far as I'm concerned, a lot of fun Politics Guys Discord group. I'm on there every day, and we have a, a great group of people and some some fun conversations. And so to check it all out, go to patreon.com slash politicsguys. If you want to support us on Venmo, we're at politicsguys. There's also PayPal, and you'll find all of our support links in the show notes, as well as at politicsguys.com slash support. And if you'd like to get the midweek show, but you're not in a position to financially support us right now, it's totally not a problem. Just send me an email, mike at politicsguys.com, and I will get you set up. And whether you're a supporter or not, it helps us if you can subscribe, rate and review us on whatever podcast app you use, and share episodes on social media. We do love hearing from listeners, and there are so many ways to get in touch with us. If you still like email, hey, that's great. I use it all the time. Mail at politicsguys.com. There's that Discord channel I mentioned. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, and you will find links to that in the show notes. And finally, as always, a very special thanks to our executive producers, Bruce Johnson, Wilma Moreno, Andra Masker, Daniel Toe, Ryan Beasley, and Don Oglesby. We'll be back with a new episode for you next week. We hope to join us.